good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening. Whatever the case may be on this rotating globe, welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn when we tackle all kinds of things that used to not be part of the mainstream. And in case you haven't noticed lately, what we cover on this show and on the other side of the news, which is on Friday nights, you want to check your local listings for when. Um, we are now seeing 24-7. We are in, well, we're no longer in Kansas, Darcy. I think we can say that. A lot of things are uh, happening now that have never happened before. In fact, it's become kind of a mantra of mainstream uh, anchors and producers and correspondence that they keep looking into the camera and saying, well, this is unprecedented. This never happened before. And uh, that's actually part of the model. We're going to be talking at very significant lengths about all this tomorrow night and drilling down in depth because one might ask the question, where did the timeline go wrong? And I have my ideas and my data and our guest tomorrow night, which is uh, Danny Sheehan and uh, Barbara Honiger and Georgia Lambert. They have theirs. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation as we discuss out-of-the-box ideas for where we went wrong. And as I said, I have my very specific ideas backed up by some very unusual data. So uh, that's going to be tomorrow night. Now, tonight, we're going to be dealing with something rather extraordinary on the planet Mars. As you know, the Chinese landed there several months ago, and uh, what initially looked to be a kind of a boring, boring area covered by nothing but black basalt and bright um, kind of pinkish sand dunes turns out to be far more interesting. Oh my God, is it far more interesting. And the most interesting part of it well, let me not get ahead of my story, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to start with some news items at the top here. So I, what I want you to do, if you're new to the show, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. You want to click on tonight's banner, which says rather prominently, <clears throat> China lands right next to stunning Martian ruins, then runs like hell. Why? So you click on that banner that takes you to tonight's guest page. Right under the guest page, you'll see uh, fast links to items. Click on mine, and that will take you to my items. Obviously, we're leading the news tonight with La Palma, which is this volcano, which is located on uh, one of the Canary Islands just off the northwest coast of Africa. If you have a map or you have Google, whatever, you can... Find it easily. The reason that we're paying attention, very close attention to this little tiny group of islands, is there is a there's a volcano on one of them, La Palma, which about uh, 1949, however many years ago that is, it's 2021, so that's many 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 decades ago. There was a huge volcano uh, erupting on the island, and it literally fractured the island almost in two. Now, what do I mean by fracture? It created a fault, a fault line, which extends, according to the seismic readings, deep under the ocean. And so with a subsequent eruptions and or earthquakes associated with eruptions, the fear has been for many, many decades that half of this island, 500 billion tons of basalt and rock will slide at a rather steep angle into the Atlantic Ocean. And as anybody knows, who knows uh, Archimedes, remember the bathtub rule? When you displace a large amount of water with a large amount of mass, what do you get? You get waves. In this case, the waves would produce, in the worst case scenario, a mega tsunami which would spread across the Atlantic, both north, south, and west, at the uh, speed of a jet aircraft. So in something between six and nine hours, 
the wave would reach the east coast of the United States. In much less time, it would reach Africa. It would reach Spain. It would reach the uh, uh, east, uh, I'm sorry, the west coast of Europe. You know, the lowland countries, France, uh, England, uh, Scotland, I, all those nations, the, the Scandinavian countries, any nation with a sea coast uh, in, in uh, the northern hemisphere <clears throat> facing the Atlantic basin would experience a wave height when the tsunami came ashore of anywhere between 100 and 300 meters. That's almost a thousand feet. And it would be racing inland at well over 600 miles an hour. It would decimate something on the order of 100 million people because of the waves spreading even into the Caribbean and around the southern tip of the Florida into the Gulf Coast. It could it would literally wipe out 100 million people if you count North and South America, the Caribbean islands, uh, Africa, uh, Europe, uh, Canada, whatever, 100 million people. So obviously, that's a bad hair day. You do not want that to happen. Now, within our technology, there's no way we can prevent it. Uh, tomorrow night, we may be discussing some technologies which could prevent this as part of our really outside-the-box assembling of dots. But for tonight, we'll assume there's no way that terrestrial science can prevent it. So the only defense is an early warning. Luckily, even for Europe, they would have hours after the island let go and slid into the Atlantic a warning, particularly if people have their smartphones tuned to geological apps, which give you warnings with seismic alerts and earthquake uh, alerts, things like that. So it would not come unannounced. And the shorter warning time would be for Europe. The much longer warning time would be for the United States. But of course, you're not going to get 30 million people up and down the United States eastern coast to evacuate even in, you know, six to nine hours. No way. However, those that are paying attention, and we reach a very large audience worldwide, those that are paying attention, set your apps to, uh, if not the U.S. Geological Service, to the European equivalent. Um, uh, look at that link at the top, number one. That is an update link for the volcanic activity under La Palma. That has a live trigger somewhere on that website, so you can get an alert on your phone. Um, you want to pay attention because even though this is a very, very low probability event, I want to stress that this is a low probability event. The problem is you can have a low probability event with extraordinary negative consequences, which means the damage, if it occurs, will be catastrophic. So you want to pay close attention. That's part of a global changing geology and in fact i saw a graph this afternoon and we're probably going to be discussing this uh, at the top of tomorrow night's show uh, showing there has been a very definite increase in worldwide volcanic and earthquake activity over the last several decades now what's interesting and this is part of the u.s geological survey uh, website they say you shouldn't pay attention to the graph you should read the text to properly interpret the graph, which I find kind of curious. So we'll discuss this in more length tomorrow night. What I'm what I'm doing is I'm looking at this as a big picture, you know, wide angle lens. And the question of course arises, if we have an increase in volcanic and earthquake activity over the norm, you know, we've been measuring this stuff for a couple of hundred years, if now is more active activity than there used to be, there's two problems. Is it real new activity or is it what we call in the sciences a selection effect? In other words, we have a lot more people on the planet. We have a lot better communications. People are interested in terms of social media, in terms of television, in terms of Facebook, in terms of all the modern means of talking to each other. So if a volcano goes off somewhere 
or an earthquake goes off somewhere like the eight point something that hit in July in the Aleutian Islands off uh, Alaska, a lot more people now are going to know about it than could have known 200 years ago. So that's the selection effect. So the graph that shows an increase, is that a real increase or is it merely because a lot more people are looking and reporting and talking about it? Again, we'll get into some of that uh, tomorrow night in, in more detail. Given that the planet is changing, given that we are seeing dramatic, very negative environmental things happening, like hurricanes uh, and strengths, like Ida, that can go inland and days later can kill hundreds of people just because of all the rain that suddenly falls and there's no place for it to go. Uh, item number two in my items tonight is very important. The models are saying that the jet stream, which of course determines the, the, the flow of mega weather patterns around the planet, the highs and lows, how hurricanes and typhoons move uh, kind of in this jet stream of uh, uh, air that moves at hundreds of miles an hour, that was only discovered by jet aircraft in the 1950s when they found that when they went from west to east, they got there sometimes early, and when they went from east to west, they got there late, uh, indicating a headwind. Well, eventually it was pinned down that there's this river of air snaking through the skies at about 40,000 feet in the northern hemisphere and in the southern hemisphere called the jet stream, and it controls the movements of other weather systems. So what controls the jet stream? Well, scientists are still working on that. Climatologists and meteorologists, there are several factors that have to be included in the, in the models. Anyway, the forecast for this winter, this coming winter, is that the jet stream has begun to move in an unprecedented fashion north, which could wreak havoc on weather in both the United States, particularly in the eastern part of the nation, as well as Europe. Um, there could be a lot more cold weather suddenly in the eastern part of the United States and in Europe. Now, there are models that say this is part of the global warming process, which is underway. There are other models, I'm thinking of Dane Wigington and his um, ideas for many, many years, that this is due to artificial tinkering with climate and with weather, which has been unacknowledged by mainstream coverage, but uh, could have, you know, bad side effects. And it's those bad side effects that uh, Wigington has pointed to for many, many years that are causing bizarre weather in places that never had bizarre weather. There's a third possibility, and that is with the general change in the background torsion field physics that I've been talking about with my colleagues for many, many years, this is one of those collateral who ordered this things where as the physics changes, which determines the flow of energy within planets and in their atmospheres, part of that energy change is showing up in weird weather and climate that's never before been seen and in the geology, i.e. more volcanoes, more earthquakes, and in places where um, we have not seen them for many, many decades. That is up for grabs. We don't know which model is correct. That's what science is all about, trying to figure out what the right explanation is among a number of plausible alternatives. And if you get the idea that science is uncertain, welcome to the 21st century. Science is uncertain. Um, in fact, it conforms to uh, one of Hoagland's laws. All science is approximate. Remember how in school we got the impression, I kind of remember how, that science was like specific and precise and you know you could take it to the bank and all that? No, no, it's very fuzzy. As the treatment of this global problem of COVID-19 has demonstrated over and over and over again, where you have credible scientific you know, individuals and institutions coming out with very different ideas for how to proceed, what causes are, what causes and effects are, et cetera, et cetera. Science is approximate. 
And the goal of science is to reduce that level of uncertainty to the maximum amount you can. But again, there's a finite level at which you can reduce the uncertainty. And real scientists realize early on that there is an inherent uncertainty to life that you can't reduce past a certain irreducible minimum. In other words, we have to kind of get used to living with uncertainty. Item number three. Um, This is interesting because what we're going to talk about tonight is what the mainstream space programs, including uh, uh, China, are revealing about Mars. But what if there, in fact, is an invisible secret space program? What if nation states on Earth have individual secret space programs? Or, for, you know, just an assumption, suppose the United States is the only nation, superpower left on Earth, that has a secret space program based not on rockets, not on anything as primitive as what the Chinese invented something like 5,000 plus years ago, but in fact is able to control gravity and inertia and build spacecraft that could be at Mars in days, if not hours, compared to the months and months and months of slow celestial mechanics travel of contemporary spacecraft. Well, that's where item number three comes in. In the last few days, there appeared on Twitter a um, series of posts with really interesting images purporting to show a top-secret, very unaerodynamic craft of some kind looking kind of like a flying saucer which was being tested at a Lockheed Martin, that's a major aerospace company, uh, terrestrial facility. And the question went out, and the the news story is there from the Daily Mail. Um, The head of security at Lockheed won't say anything, won't acknowledge that it's their vehicle, but it sure as hell does not look like any airplane that uh, we have uh, uh, seen in any time frame from the earliest biplanes to, you know, the sleekest F-22s or the B-2 bomber or the F-17, et cetera, et cetera. It looks really weird. There's more than one photograph. It was on a flatbed being taken somewhere, and someone got really close-up, crisp images. They posted them on the Internet, and the cat is among the pigeons. So... More on this tomorrow night. Oddly enough, this again is relevant to our in-depth discussion about alternate timelines for terrestrial history, which we're going to really get into tomorrow night. So, item number four. This is, of course, the kind of backdrop to tonight's discussion. Many months ago, in July of last year, the Chinese announced they were sending an unmanned mission to Mars. The mission was not going to just go to Mars. It was going to go into orbit. It was going to land a lander. And then a little rover on six wheels was going to trundle off down a ramp and begin exploring the Martian surface in an unknown region all in one mission. Unlike previous history where the United States sent flyby missions first, then orbiters, then orbiters with landers, and finally, orbiters with landers that were rovers. So instead of extending that development process like the United States, China did it all in one. And Zerong, which is the name of the rover, which is the Chinese fire goddess of Mars, landed and has been doing amazing work. The problem is the Chinese haven't really kept us up to date as to what the mission has been finding. But before they left, they they published a poster. That's item number four. Item number five is a close-up with a close-up sketch uh, of Andrew Curry, who is our resident uh, uh, graphologist. Is that a word? Well, it is now. Anyway, he did a beautiful sketch of the set of real ruins. Chinese apparently borrowed a Curiosity rover image from NASA, uh, borrowed as used loosely, And so in item number four and five, you can see the Chinese in print in their poster advertising that 
when they got to Mars with Zerong and TNN-1, which is the name of the entire mission, it means questions of heaven, and uh, Zerong again is the Chinese fire god of Mars, that when they got the spacecraft down on Mars, the poster strongly implied in a very Emily Dickinson fashion, you know, you know, tell all the truth, but tell it slant, that they were going to announce that they had found ancient ruins on Mars because they intended to land where they could find ancient ruins on Mars. Okay, we fast forward the film. And in uh, May, on May 15th, uh, after spending several months in orbit, they arrived just before we did in February with their orbiter and their lander and their rover all in one package. They separated the uh, lander and it landed on May 15th and the orbiter took pictures and you can see in item number six the side-by-side -side comparison of the strip of uh, uh, northern Martian desert called Utopia Planitia, the plains of Utopia. On the left is the pre-landing and on the right is the same image after the Zerong lander has landed. And if you look in the upper right-hand portion of the right-hand frame, you'll see a little kind of uh, dark splotch with two white things extending north and south, up and down. Those are the landing rockets and the blowing away of the surface dust revealing the darker material underneath. And that is the landing of the Chinese Zurong rover on its little platform, its little TN-1-1 lander. All went without a hitch. Now in the upper right-hand corner of both those frames, the pre-landing and the post-landing frame in item number six, you'll see the bottom edge of what looks like a crater. In fact, it's, it's more than a crater. And if you go to number seven, this is a NASA image from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. There's its number there, ESP underscore 069665 underscore 2055 underscore RGB. That stands for red, green, blue. No map, meaning it's not been corrected for projection on a three-dimensional curved planetary surface, but with this small area, that doesn't matter. And if you click on that, you'll see a close-up of that feature just to the top right in the Chinese black and white frames. That's an amazing set of objects. In fact, if you click on number eight, which is a close-up, it turns out that this is two objects, two structures, two somethings that are almost a thousand feet long, arrayed parallel with all kinds of stubborn, incredible, redundant interior geometry. And that geometry should not be there in any mainstream model of Mars. I mean, it just should not be there. So, the next question is, why is it there? Well, um, that's where we're going to come into our tale tonight because it looks like from everything I have put together and some experts I've talked to and, of course, members of our team, those two wing-like things with pinion-looking festoonings that look like uh, feathers on a central spine that are, in fact, almost 1,000-foot-long, multiply-dimensional 3D structures, there's no way you can explain that by geology. Zero. They're not geological. So if they're not geological, using the old Sherlock Holmes mandate, if you go for the uh, impossible, what could they be? Well, they appear to be ancient, artificial, very complex geometric structures with all kinds of substructure lying in this, you know, 1,500 foot wide depression that superficially looks like a crater in the northern plains of Mars. And here's where things get really, really weird. Because the Chinese, they landed, as you can see, if you go back up to item number six, click on number six again, look where Zerong is. 
look where these features are, just above it on those two frames, they're 1,300 feet south of a stunning set of unmistakable artificial geometric architecture. 1,300 feet. That's equivalent to about five city blocks in New York. I used to, on my lunchtime when I was working in New York, I used to go and walk the city just for exercise and to find a decent different restaurant. And so walking five blocks in New York and then five blocks back was a piece of cake. Could do it, you know, in a few minutes. And uh, Ron, Ron Gerbron, he walks routinely longer than five city blocks every day, catching buses, et cetera, around uh, Southern California. So the Chinese have a rover, and they have a lander that sets down 1,300 feet, five city blocks away from the thing they advertised before they left Earth. They were going to proclaim to the world, and instead of driving north, which would have taken them probably maybe a week or so, they run like hell in the totally opposite direction. They literally fled as fast as the little rover wheels could carry them due south, not even looking to the north, looking to see what was just on the horizon. Uh, For instance, if you go to number nine, there's a very intriguing comparison, which we're going to get into uh, with our panelists when we come back after the bottom of the hour, because number nine shows a comparison on the left between what I'm calling the Zorong ruins. Remember, in the bottom of this 1,500-foot-wide depression with all kinds of collateral geometry, rectilinear geometry, all over this close-up frame. And on the right, as a comparison, is a frame grab from the movie about Mars put out by Disney several years ago called John Carter, which was loosely adopted from one of Carter's early books, The Princess of Mars, published back in the teens in the United States uh, of America back, uh, uh, you know, like a century ago. Look at that comparison. Look at the geometry in both of these totally separate objects. Raising the question, and we'll get into this in our discussion, what did Disney know, and when did they know it, and was this part of the weirdness that hung around the whole John Carter movie when it premiered in a very bizarre set of, shall we say, catastrophic rollouts? Anyway, to be discussed. Oh, number 10, final item uh, for this section. This is a close-up of the panorama the Chinese released shortly after landing, showing that northern horizon. If you look in the center of the panorama, you see that kind of discoloration stretching toward the horizon? That's the northernmost uh, streaks of blowing away the surface dust from the landing rockets. And just to the right of that, on the horizon, you can barely see the ruins just peeking over the horizon. So why did the Chinese go south instead of north? We'll be discussing that for the rest of the morning. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return.
One of the ways that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government and control perception at a, on a wide scale is because it's the banks at the core and they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking. Where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not deposit money that they're loaning you. Uh, they just credit your account with some dollar credits and you're off to the races. And then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet. Because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. This is Etienne de la Boissy Squared, the author of Government, the Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. And some of my favorite conversations are the ones that I have on the other side of the news. With Timothy, Annetta, and Kinthia. Thank you for doing what you do and providing the service that you provide. back everyone to the other side of midnight for this saturday night the second of october it is fall here in the land of enchantment and uh this is a weekend when the annual balloon fest which stretches an entire week kicks off um last year of course because of covid19 they did not hold it this year uh they're holding it again and it's an extraordinary uh, uh experience if anybody you know, is in Albuquerque listening, or if you uh, want to visit, take part in the Balloon Festival, it's well worth it. Uh, when Robin and I first moved out here, we we would take Michael to, uh, at the crack of dawn, <clears throat> go and see these various amazing, you know, liftoffs, because you lift off in the calm before, like, sunrise. And then they have what they call balloon glows, because these are hot air balloons, and they're uh, basically fueled by burners and the <clears throat> coverings for the balloon, which hold the hot air and provide the lift. They're uh, semi-transparent, they're translucent, and so they have a whole bunch of tethered balloons one night where the uh, uh, proprietors of the various balloons, which come from all over the country to participate in races and contests and demonstrations and it's, it's, it's an amazing event and it takes place in the clear gorgeous skies of new mexico and the weather here 
or the last several days forecast for the next week is going to be stunning. So the balloon odysseys of the Albuquerque event are back on and they are memorable. Okay, so let's get down to cases. Let me introduce my guests of the morning, who are by this time, I would presume, uh, kind of uh, uh, well-known to everyone who listens to the show on a regular basis. There's Ron Gerbron, who is our resident uh, uh, generalist. Uh, Keith Morgan, of course, who worked with Ted Koppel for many decades, is an expert on the uh, Morgan curve, which he discovered at Sidonia on Mars and brought to uh, Koppel's attention all those decades ago. Uh, if he's not with us, well, he'll be with us in the second hour. Uh, Ruggiero Kahlo is going to be back with us. We're, we've got Kinthea. Of course, Kinthea was the original art director of the Enterprise mission and did the most amazing three-dimensional, quote, old-fashioned, close quote, sculptures in clay of the face on Mars, proving unequivocally from the two images, high and low sun angle, that it was a three-dimensional, mile-long statue lying there in the northern plains of Sidonia on Mars. Well, she's done a lot more work in the uh, decades since, and tonight she's got some very interesting analyses of art that's been as part of our team efforts in other places on Mars, specifically both by the Curiosity and the Perseverance rover. And last but not least, Jonathan Molnack is back with us. Uh, Jonathan if one can consider one to be an expert in uh, out-of-body experiences and reincarnation, it's probably Mr. Womack. He now has a show called The OBE Show, Metaphysics and More on Amazon Prime. And if I left anyone out, I apologize. So welcome everyone to the other side of midnight. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> Is that everyone? <laughs> okay. Where's Ron? There's Ron. There he is. There's, there's Ron. Uh, all right. Um, we led with the Chinese. Uh, what I want to do is kind of go in no particular order to give some people more time to frame their thoughts. What the heck is going on with the Chinese? I mean, Kinthea, when you look at that close-up, can it be anything else than architecture? I can't imagine it could be. I mean, when you'll see in my studies that I've um, outlined the rectilinear patterns to make it pretty obvious when you see it. And then there are elements of sculpture. We'll get into it when we look at my items. But I, I don't know how anyone could explain these features any other way other than that they are not natural Okay, let me go to uh, Keith Morgan, because Keith, you were the one that went jumping up and down when you saw the close-ups and said, oh my God, look, look, look. So you've had a week now to look at this and think about it. What do you think? Well, this a shudder. <laughs> For a minute, I started to think that maybe it was Photoshopped in, but then as I started looking at all the other stuff around it, there's no indication this was photoshopped in or anything like that or morphed in. And I'm blown away by it because when you look at the overall further out, it almost looks like a wing. But when you get in close, it looks like the feather with the the center divide going up the center of the feather. And I'm like, this is too many coincidences for this just to be a natural formation. How did they miss this stuff? I, I don't know. Yep. Yep. Okay, John, what do you think? Well, I'd like to go back to last week, the last half hour of the show, real quick. You were talking about the 90-minute Mars quake, the AI type of architectural structures. What did you call it? Smart architecture? Mm-hmm. That have circuitry literally buried in the walls. So when you erode it or degrade it and excavate it, you know, thousands of years later, you see this incredible close-in geometric pattern. Perseverance has taken close-ups of some of the so-called rocks, and they've got some really amazing cameras, including one which is basically a zoom telescope. And when you look at the details, 
it's obvious we're looking at smart architecture. We're looking at, you know, something that holds up a roof when it was new, but it's got circuitry walls, so the, the domicile, the, you know, the office, whatever they were, you know, you can only imagine in your mind the amazing capabilities of such architecture, which could literally respond technologically to every wish of the occupants at any time of day or night, you know, from brightness to heat, to maybe sounds, to maybe colors, to maybe who knows. In other words, they weren't just four walls and a roof. Whoever built this stuff, and now it's of course an incredible ancient ruin in fragments, were very, 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 very advanced. Indeed, and if it is on a planetary scale, I think it's fair to say that Mars has a mind of its own. Well, that's not a bad way of putting it. Because, of course, yeah. if you have individual structures, there's nothing that would prevent you. We have something primitive called <clears throat> the Internet today. You could link them all together. They could literally talk to each other. You could create waves of reaction. You could, you know, have the, the buildings reacting to the day and night cycle automatically or in contrapuntal. You could have... You could have music streaming from your environment that would match the mood of the environment. Out. In other words, there's no limit to what could be done, even in our imagination. And of course, we're, we're still very primitive. So imagine what it really could do when it was new. Yeah, and isn't there a robot head, a Martian picture of a robot head similar to the one in Shorty Crater on the moon? Um, I'm not sure. There's been so much, you know, at some point you have to forget something if you're going to remember something new. Um, I know there have been various representations of with eye sockets and mouths, etc., etc., but I'm not sure we've ever seen what I would term a counterpart to uh, uh, what I call Data's head when I discovered it at the Apollo 17 landing site on the moon. Hmm. Well, well we I... don't know what... Oh, sorry. Go go ahead, Ron. Oh, I was going to say, we don't know what a head might look like, but yeah, he's right. In, in terms of something that's anthropomorphic to that degree, uh, I can't think of it either. What? I, can think of I, natural, looking... I can think of natural skulls that uh, have appeared in various rover missions. Um, I think Opportunity took a, took a photograph of one many, many uh, decades ago. But I can't think of something that would look as artificial, as robot-like, as android-like as the uh, head there in Shorty Crater on the moon. Well, I wonder well, if However, oh, sorry, I'm going to go away after this. I just want to, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on, but right this very second, I'm working on an old curiosity image. I, since we were talking Barsoom, I was, something, I made a connection I hadn't thought of. The stuff, the stuff like the thoughts that they're riding around. I said, if I think in terms of that, instead of uh, terrestrial animals, this one frame that was taken by Curiosity, it's uh, Sol 732. I won't rattle off the whole thing. It's, Thank it's you. The, you know, the whole print. It um, looks like a, uh, well, it looks like a horse's head or the skull thereof. And I mean, I've seen plenty of, you know, heads of horses and similar bovines and equines and stuff. It's got great big teeth like a horse. And I thought, if somebody's doing a sculpture, why would they put so much detail into the teeth? You know, so that's the other than that, I would assume that it's like the... Well, you know, the obviously the Martians have the expression, never lift a gift horse in the mouth. Right, or a gift, a gift thoat in the throat. <laughs> John, you were going to say. Okay, yeah, go back. Sorry. I was just wondering if the the Chinese saw... Another shiny object, perhaps. Meaning? Ooh. Well, they drove south to, they go, oh my gosh, what is this over here? No, and no, no, we, we, we've looked. There's nothing. The most you've interesting oh. thing is this mm. amazing, just 1,300 feet. I mean, that's literally, you know, you, you, you can throw a baseball on Mars that far. If you look at the panorama, so, uh, I think it's number 10. Um, it got switched somewhere in the in the switching back and forth. Um, you can see it just to the right of the uh, descent rocket streak on the horizon. It looks like it's got kind of a rubbly surface. What's interesting is there's a little ridge between the lander and the um, uh, 
features this 1500 foot wide you know depression I don't want to call it a crater because you can see there's a big square in the basement of it that looks like the ruins of a basement big square that's maybe you know seven eight hundred feet across and perfectly rectilinear tilted at 45 degrees to the north pole axis so why they eschewed fulfilling their mandate to land in front of ruins and show the world which is what their poster bragged they were going to do and then ran as fast as the little rover could you know roll its slippage wheels to the south it no they're just running away from history they're running away from danger danger will robinson and we're going to get into uh, later in the morning some speculation as to why i go back to ron now because the one thing you didn't mm. answer is what's your reaction to the chinese ruins and more interesting the chinese reaction uh as far as the reaction goes, I'm still adding it up. They obviously were suddenly very, very motivated to not be there. So, <laughs> I, ha- I haven't. Sure. Okay. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Can Cynthia, can... go ahead. Yes. So yeah, as I'm watching what's happening globally, I I don't see that there are individual governments. I really see that there is a force behind all the governments that is really working in concert oh my and god that, 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 that that's my model i've been so saying that for a long time if they don't want us to know they being are things out who, there who, who is they? the chinese who, who, who were going they? to put it out then they would say hey uh-uh you're not doing that you better head the other way well you know that i've been saying this for a long time on the air right everybody remembers i've been saying this that what goes on down here on planet Earth is really kind of trivial. The real action is upstairs. That the, it's the yeah. Kabuki theater of separate nations and separate yes. you know, agreements and separate confrontations yeah. and all that. It's all it's all theater to paper well, over what's really important, which is whoever upstairs is mandating what happens down here. And as you know, Richard. I really hold the model that that is not only about outer space, but it has very much to do with the COVID question. Which we're going to get into great detail tomorrow night. Yes, yes. But here's what's interesting. Again, part of my model, and I guess we're going to kind of drip back and forth between tonight and tomorrow night, has been for months and months and months, I've said that when the Chinese published from their two unmanned rover missions to the moon, Chang 3, which landed on the front side of the moon at 44 degrees north and 19.5 degrees west, and then showed a bunch of incredible glass ruins like Apollo and published them, including on the People's you know, Army website. They crossed a line. Somebody upstairs did not like it, and in retribution, COVID-19 was visited upon the Chinese as punishment, and it radiated out from there with all the convolutions of terrestrial politics and, and uh, egos, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They did the same thing on Chang 4 uh, about a, two years after Chang 3 on the far side of the moon, and where they landed on the near and the far side, it's obvious to me they were measuring the physics, the hyperdimensional torsion field physics of the moon in orbit around the Earth, which does very interesting things when you have alignments like in eclipses, which Robin and I measured with the Acatron here on Earth. Alignments like eclipses or transits make the Acatron go ding, 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 ding in a major fashion. If you can put two spacecraft on the moon, in opposite sides so that the line between them goes right through the core of the moon. Imagine all kinds of physics you could measure. And then they, they, they didn't publish it, but the fact that they did it means that they were transgressing on heaven. So I have viewed for 18, 20 months now, the COVID origins as Wuhan, as being direct retribution against the Chinese for not playing a ball for going as uh, the intel folks i used to talk to here would say off the reservation and so they announced with great pride they're going to land on mars and show us ruins 
they land within 1,300 feet of ruins, they run like hell. In my simple model, somebody told them, are you nuts? No way are you going to reveal that. And if you do, what will happen is the wrath of heaven. Forget the questions. So they have run south. And don't everybody speak at once. Or you shock us. Well, I, you know, that's that's all fine and good. I I can hear that, and we're leaving out the important element of Fauci's connection to Wuhan. All these so, players uh, are just all, all these players are merely bit players. They're under contract to something going on upstairs. Now, as I'm going to talk about with our guest tomorrow night, I think it's the breakaways. Who are the breakaways? Oh, they're the Nazis <clears throat> who mm-hmm. left Earth and migrated into the solar system and who were their extraterrestrial mentors. Did the uh, mentors, and we'll use that in loose terms, did they shift allegiance from the Germans when they lost the war to, at some point, the Chinese? Were the Chinese functioning the PRC as their new terrestrial henchmen and when they thought they were the king of the walk, when they got out of line, when they thought they controlled their own destinies, something slapped them down very hard, i.e. COVID-19. Again, these are all questions. There are very, very few answers. And more critically, there are few ways to find bona fide, testable answers because we're immersed in what I call the fog of war. Mm-hmm. May I? Sure. I think there's there's also another model, and that is if you look throughout history, you see the prominence of serpents throughout all the art throughout history. You see serpents, and many are considering a reptilian race, an extraterrestrial, not terrestrial, an alien reptilian race that has been interfering with our planet and while the breakaways the nazis may be part of it i i personally don't think they have this they had enough time i think they might be working in concert with reptilians and i'm not saying oh my gosh we're overrun by reptilians but when you look throughout (laughs) our art history there's a lot of things that are just like disturbing like reptiles eating babies that's very disturbing and you see it throughout the art ron yeah what would you say about about reptile Uh, reptiles in art history well you know in the uh even in the bible the account in the garden of eden uh the um devil show or Satan, whatever you want, Lucifer, whoever, shows up uh, in a reptilian form. They mentioned this, but he was also very, very handsome, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, in the as the account went, you know, and so it's, um, uh, yeah, that implies to me a reptilian race interacting with us. I think there's been several of them. You know, that's another quetzalcoatl. Yeah, and another. Oh, wait, 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 wait. John, 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 you just said something amazing. Yeah, what is what is what is Quetzalcoatl? It's the feathered serpent. Yeah. What do the structures that the Chinese found look like? They look like feathers. They look sinuous. Are we getting Mm -hmm. ahead of our skis here? Right. No. I I also want to share. I also want to share that in a conversation with Joseph Gill, who's been a guest on both shows, the other side of midnight and the other side of the news. You know, he's well traveled. He's gone around the planet. Oh, yeah, 150 times. I don't know. It's just I get lost count. But he reported that in many of the places, it was in uh, down in Australia with the Aborigines, and also in Tibet. Wherever he went, where there were more indigenous people, they were asking him to stick out his tongue. And he asked them why, and they said, because we want to see if it's forked. <laughs> you remember the expression, <laughs> he speaks with a forked the Native, tongue? The Native American expression. It's almost a cliche. Right, it right. is a cliche. But this, is, 
But the thing you know is, is that Joseph reported this happening in other parts of the world. They were demanding oh, he no, stick out his it. tongue that is, before that, they would interact with him. That is very interesting data. Yes. Wow. Yes. Has he had cataract surgery or something? <laughs> <laughs> No, Joseph. Well, no. I, oh, you mean you you no, mean like it, hang on? You mean like the bad guy in one of my favorite movies, Schwarzenegger movies? Yes, folks, <laughs> I watch action flicks sometimes. Uh, called the Last Action Hero. Remember the yes. eye structure of the bad guy? Oh yeah. In Last Action Hero, oh, yeah. vertical serpent-like slits. Well, you see that well, also David, in Men in Black. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, David Bowie had one too. You mean natural, one, or or was it a yeah. um, was it was it a the uh, official story from his publicist, et cetera, et cetera, uh, was always that it was the result of an injury. But I met him. It doesn't make me an authority on it. It's just he had a great memory. He remembered after he remembered me after that for years. You know, so I thought, okay, no wonder this guy's successful. Anyway, no, no, no I got to see him close up. I mean, I helped drag him to a bathroom. That gives you a pretty good look at someone. And uh, he... Uh, Obviously was, a memorable uh, experience. <laughs> you, you, well, let's let's just say, uh, yeah. Uh, it was during the Diamond Dog days. He was um, keeping himself um, high. Uh, the uh, No, but the one eye had a vertical pupil. And it, it functioned just fine. And I knew someone personally. And, and wait, wait, it, it, was, it, it was not a contact lens, right? No, no, and this has always been in my fascination basket because it is not part of the human genome. It is something that is perfectly possible. You know, like you could take a take a tractor apart and make a washing machine. Well, out of it. wait, know, wait, 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 wait. And uh, actually, guys, we're at the top of the hour. You know, we could go on. Yeah. We will go on. We've got two more hours of this, boys and girls. So I'll tell you what. Everybody, kind of hold your place where you are. Um, I will do this. You're on the other side of midnight. We're talking about the Chinese bragging that they're going to send their unmanned rover to Mars to expose, obviously, against the uh, decadent capitalists which have been keeping it secret for all these years, ancient ruins of an ancient culture on Mars, which, of course, as you're going to also hear in the rest of our morning, there are incredible connections now that we've discovered in the art of Mars and in the art of Earth. So yeah, there are Martian terrestrial connections. Did the Chinese focus on a region on Mars where they could find something that would maybe resemble the great, 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 great ancestors of pagoda-like architecture? And then something happens. They get there. They land successfully. They go through the seven minutes of terror. And what do they do? They run like hell. Here on the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today 
And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.